On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. Then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. So Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet, weeping and pleading with him to avert the evil design of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king held out his golden scepter to Esther, and Esther rose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I've won his favor, and if the thing seems right before the king, and if I have his approval, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote giving orders to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to the Jew Mordecai, See, I've given Esther the house of Haman, and they've hanged him on the gallows because he plotted to lay hands on the Jews. You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So the king's secretaries were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and to the satraps and the governors and the officials of provinces from India all the way to Ethiopia. 127 provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script, in their language. Mordecai wrote letters in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed them with the king's ring, and sent them mount by mounted couriers, riding on fast steeds bred from the royal herd. By these letters, the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them with their children and women, and to plunder their goods on a single day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar. A copy of the decree was to be issued in every province and published to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take revenge on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift royal steeds, hurried out, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in the citadel of Susha. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, wearing royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple, while the city of Susa shouted and, re and rejoiced. For the Jews there was a light and gladness, joy and honor. In every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict came, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a festival and a holiday. Furthermore, Many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. This is God's word to us. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for your presence. God, I pray whatever words we would hear this morning would be from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I heard a a pastor say one time that you shouldn't pray for something that you're not willing to be involved with. Have you ever heard this phrase? You, You might have heard it on social media this week. Don't pray for something that you're not willing to be involved in. And I really wish I would have taken his advice. Um, you know, that a couple of weeks ago, Sarah and I were having kind of a family meeting. And we were just talking about all these things that we had to do. And one of the constant conversations that we have is, well, what do you want to have for dinner? What do you want to have for dinner? And neither of us like to cook. Neither of us really know how to cook. Not, I don't think either of us really want to learn to cook, right? I mean... It it just is what it is. It's not our area of talent or expertise or interest. And so it's a constant conversation, but it's also a constant, like, annoyance. And and, and I know how how privileged and and ridiculous that sounds, and and I'm grateful to be there, but but it is a thing that you constantly have to talk about. You know, when we were single, it was like, I just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. You don't have to worry about that. And then even when it was just me and Sarah without Naima, it was just like, yeah, we'll just do whatever. We can float along and you don't really have to have a plan. You don't really have to think about it. When Naima came along, you know, this kid never stops eating, right? And so you always have to have a plan. You always have to think ahead and, and think, okay, what are we going to have? Do this and this and this. So we were talking about how, how are we going to solve this problem? And I was just thinking out loud, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be so, so great if we had a schedule, And on the schedule, you know, on Mondays we ate the same thing, and on Tuesdays we ate the same thing, and on Wednesdays, same thing. And we just repeated it, and and this would solve the problem of deciding. This would solve the problem of grocery shopping. I mean, this would automate a lot of things in our life and just make life so, so easy. And, you know, I just kind of said it. I almost prayed it at the table as we were talking. I didn't expect anything to be done about it. I just thought it would be a really great idea. Well, Sarah, being the wonderful partner that she is, uh, actually made this schedule. <laughs> and and on, on Monday, there are options for every day. And uh, there's actually a grocery list that accompanies the schedule. And there are instructions, right, to on how to cook these things. I mean, she just laid it all out for me. And, and the first day that we were going to do it, it was a Monday. And we were starting this new schedule, and it was time for me. Naima was down for her nap, and I was going to start dinner. And then I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I didn't want to follow the instructions. I didn't want to follow the schedule. I didn't want to follow the ingredients. I was like, oh, I don't really feel like that. And I, ra- I ran into this problem where I had, I had kind of prayed for this thing that I wanted, and it didn't solve my issues. In fact, I really didn't even want to be involved with it. The problem wasn't having a schedule. It wasn't having a menu. The problem was really that I want a personal chef, and, and, I, and I don't have one. <laughs> Don't pray for things that you're not willing to be involved in. The pastor who, who I heard that story from, and I, I'm not sure who said it first, but the one that I heard it from told a story with that. He said he was in the receiving line after church after he p- preached that message, and this guy came up to him. He said, you know what, pastor, that, 
that sermon really affected me. And um, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm ripping up my prayer list because there's all these things I'm praying for that I really don't want to be involved in. And there's really only one thing that I want to pray for from now on. And, and that's a vacation to Hawaii. And that really resonated with me. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I think I'll do that too. <laughs> we all have passions don't we? I mean, what are some of the things that you're really, really passionate about? Just go ahead and shout them out. What are you, what are you passionate about? Education, yes. From a, a couple teach. well, yeah, you're an educator. I'll call you an educator. Education, what else are you passionate about? What was that? I didn't hear you. Traveling, yes, traveling. What else are you passionate about? Someone's got to say justice at Fort Street, right? Um, we have a lot of passions, don't we? We have a lot of things that we want to do. And, and in fact, there's so many of them sometimes that we almost can't choose <laughs> all of them, right? We're limited. We don't have the capability to chase all of our passions. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources sometimes. Sometimes we just don't have the bandwidth. We can't choose everything we want to do. We have to be focused, I've only been fired from one job in my life, and I want to tell you that story today because I, I share all my baggage with you here at Fort Street, uh, in, including when I steal money out of the offering plate as a child and all these terrible things. So now I'll tell you the only time I've been fired. Uh, when, I, when I got to college, um, you know, I, I, I had to work a, a lot of jobs to make sure I could afford to stay there, but um, I also had a lot of interests, and so I, I think I had three jobs at the time, and then I had all these clubs that I was a part of, and, and, and all these things to do, and, you know, organization uh, still is not my strong suit, but definitely not then, and so I started just doing all of these things. I was, um, I was the guy at soccer matches that chased the balls when they got kicked too far um, off the field. Um, I, I was a softball manager. I helped with the softball team. I I washed dishes in the cafeteria. Uh, I worked desk jobs where I could kind of do my homework in the library. I did all these things, but I, I took another job. I took a fourth job in the uh, bookstore because I thought it would fit with my schedule, and I just thought, yeah, I, I think I'd really like to do that. And um, <laughs> my, my first day ever, uh, I missed. I just completely forgot that I had to work and I had been scheduled. <laughs> I just didn't show up. So the, the second day that I was scheduled to work, I showed up, and my manager was like, hey, where were you? And I was like, oh, I totally forgot. I had something else going on. Well, this pattern like, kept repeating and kept repeating until my manager finally sat me down, and she was like, Garrett, I'm, I'm going to have to fire you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know you are. <laughs> I know you're going to have to fire me because I, I'm doing way, way too much. She and I had a good relationship. I, I actually still know her, and she's on my Facebook, but I had too much going on, and I didn't want to choose. I didn't want to discern what I needed to do, and I really had become like a flood in my life. You know, a flood, when a flood happens, it goes everywhere really, really quickly, and it spreads out, and it can be kind of deep, can be kind of thin, but, you know, there, it just goes everywhere, and then suddenly it just disappears, and really, I needed to be more like a river. You know, a river, when it's focused and it has boundaries and it, and it knows that it can only go one way, it can actually stretch across an entire continent. I was flooding. 
because I had so many passions and interests that I didn't know what to do. And so really I was doing nothing, wasn't I? I was doing nothing at all. I needed to be a river when I was a flood. In our text for today, we, we started in chapter 8, but I want to catch you up, especially if you haven't been here for part of the Esther series. The last time I preached, I talked about what I would call the climax of the, of the story, and it's in chapter 6, but through a series of coincidences, Haman, the bad guy in the story, uh, is, is found out by the king. And Haman, Haman's a bad guy because he, he got really, really mad at Mordecai um, because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Mordecai won't bow down to him for religious reasons. He won't bow down to anybody. And Haman took this as an affront not just to himself, but to the throne. And so Haman told the king that there was a group of people, even though it was just one, that was um, disruptive, rebellious, against the throne of the king, and the king should have all of these people eradicated from his kingdom. And the king being who the king is, you know, the king is drunk, party boy that, you know, doesn't really care about anything other than pleasure. He says, yeah, okay, you can write that decree. Well, later on in the chapter, if you remember this, um, the king finds out that (laughs) uh, Mordecai, the one who is scheduled to be killed first among all of these people, actually saved the king's life. And the king's like, oh, we gotta, we've got to honor this guy. And so they honor him, and then it comes out at a banquet that Haman is actually against the king, and, and pretty soon Haman is killed. He's hung on the gallows in some versions, and other versions he's put on a pike that was actually meant for Mordecai. And it's the climax of the story, but it, the story hasn't fully resolved yet. Because while the bad guy Haman is taken out and Mordecai is going to be saved, there are still these series of laws that Haman had drafted while he was in power to make sure that all the Jewish people would be eradicated. And he had all of these, you know, decrees written in all the different languages, and he had them sent out into all the provinces of the kingdom. And and you heard in the text for today that that kingdom stretched from Ethiopia to India. And I don't have a map in front of me, but that's a pretty wide area. It's, it's pretty big. And so trouble is still brewing for Esther and her people. There's this absurd law that was drafted that's still in effect that is ruining people's lives and will soon eradicate an entire group of people. And I think the question that we're left with is, what do you do? What do you do? We know something about absurd laws in this country, don't we? Yes, we do. Thank you. Do you know that an 18-year-old can buy an assault weapon but not a beer? I'm sure you saw that in social media this week. Did you know that an 18-year-old can buy an assault weapon, but they can't rent a car? 
You'd be 25 years old to rent a car in this country. And that's because insurance companies and car rental companies don't want to pay the liability for someone that's under 25 to drive their vehicles because it costs them too much. It's too inconvenient. It gets to their bottom line a little bit more than they would like. And so it's been outlawed. But you can wield a weapon. You're not safe enough behind the wheel of a motor vehicle that you rent, but you can pull a trigger. You can have as many guns as you want because this is a free country. You know that an 18-year-old can go to war and kill other people, but they can't smoke a little weed? You know they can't even go, you're not even allowed to go on websites that advertise marijuana or alcohol in this country until you're 21 years old. But boy, you could buy a rifle. Do you know we banned books before we banned guns? We're banning the teaching of history. History, what happened in this country? We ban that before we ban guns. We ban pride flags. We limit the freedoms of speech between a teacher and a student. Think about that. We limit the freedoms of speech between a teacher and a student. We tell them what they're allowed to talk about and what they're not allowed to talk about. We tell them what words they're allowed to say and what words they're not allowed to say. But we really don't care what kind of guns they have or what they do with them. I think the worst part of all of these ridiculous rules and laws is that most people, according to recent statistics, most people are in favor of abolishing them. But the people don't have the power. Money does. Because this is America. Greatest country on the planet. where people are given the illusion of freedom, but they're not really free unless they've got a big pile of money. So the question is, what do we do? One of the things I love about the book of Esther is that God is in the background. God's not explicitly mentioned. And one of the questions we've been asking throughout this series is, and I, I think Pastor Sarah was the one that posed this, is where do we see God working throughout the text? In between the words, in between the lines, where do we see God at work? Because God is there, and there's a reason that those who formed the canon included the book of Esther in there. It wasn't just willy-nilly. Many Christians have seen God at work in this text. And, and the question is, where? And what I love about the book of Esther, too, is that it, it's, it's atypical in the sense that normally in books of the Bible, when you hear stories about God, God is showing up and God is saving the day, right? God breaks into history. God erupts into the story and then saves everyone. 
And maybe it's after a prayer that someone says, maybe it's just because that's what God is going to do, but God has a very active role and is showing up. But in this story, and I'm not saying God's not the hero in this story, please hear me. In this story, the heroes that are highlighted are Esther and Mordecai, and you might even say the king, but he's more of just a pawn in the story. God is in the background. Esther and Mordecai have to do something because this absurd law that's going to ruin their entire group of people is going into effect whether they like it or not. So even though they've gotten rid of the bad guy, they still have work to do. And so Esther goes to the king, and you heard this in our text for today. She goes to the king and she says, King, if I found favor in your eyes, if I'm beautiful in your sight, if I've done anything to please you, if you can hear me at all right now, please, please, please help me and my people. Help me and my people, because the laws that Haman wrote, they're going into effect, and and we're not asking you to cancel those. We're just asking for the right to defend ourselves. And the king, you know, being the king, he's he's not going to do anything to fix it. He just hands the royal scepter and says, yeah, sure, do whatever you need to do. I'll bless it. And and here's my signet ring. Put my stamp on it, and that, that will make it law. And so then Esther and Mordecai, you know, they get together, and so they've got the permission, and then they have to organize. They organize all of these scribes to get together, and they say, okay, we need all these scribes to start writing this new law. And the new law has to sound like this, and we need that new law written in the language of all these different people because we have 127 provinces that we're dealing with, and we have all of these groups of people, and, and, and you know, our people, the Jews, they're spread out all throughout this kingdom, and they're all threatened. And so they go to work, and they organize these scribes, and they mobilize them, and then pretty soon these decrees are going out by horseback, and they're going to all of the provinces. And Esther and Mordecai are going to save the day. And I think that God is with them. But another thing I really love about this story in Esther is that they don't pray that God would save the day for them. In fact, I think one of the only times prayer is mentioned in the entire book of Esther is when Esther asks the people at the beginning of the story and asks Mordecai, would you fast and pray with me? Fast and pray with me because I'm getting ready to go to the king and I need the strength and the courage. So prayer is not an answer to all of our problems in the book of Esther. Prayer is preparation to do the work that God is calling us to do. Prayer is not a salve that we put over the things that we don't want to deal with that we want God to take care of. Prayer is the thing that gives us the breath that we need so that we can go do the things that we know need to be done in this world. And the book of Esther shows us that very, very clearly. Esther and Mordecai don't go to the temple and make a sacrifice and say a prayer and then sit on their hands and say, okay, boy, we really hope you do something, God, because it's getting dicey out here. They organize, they mobilize, they show up, and they do something about the problems that they see in the world.
You all might have a lot of passions. You might have a lot of interests. You might have a lot of things that you want to pray for. But you really shouldn't pray for things that you're not willing to be involved in. Because prayer isn't meant for you to change the mind of God so that you can get what you want in your world and so that you can have the peace that you want in your world. Prayer is meant to form your heart into the image and the likeness of God in Christ so that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world to do the work that God is calling all of us to do. And so as we see tragedy after tragedy in this country, as we see tragedy after tragedy in the world, maybe we need to rethink how we pray and what we think about prayer. Maybe we need to change our mind about prayer because I don't think that prayer is meant to just take away our problems. I think that prayer is meant to give us the strength and the courage we need to do what we know needs to be done. Friends, if you're praying for everyone and everything and you can't be involved in them, you might be more like a flood. And if collectively, as Christians, we're just a giant flood, we're going to dry up one day and we're going to disappear. But if we focus ourselves, we set boundaries, if we figure out where we're going and what we need to do, we can go pretty far, can't we? Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for Esther. Thank you for her courage. Thank you for her example. God, thank you for her wisdom. God, I pray that you would teach us to pray. I pray that you would speak to us about where we're called. I pray that you would give us the courage that we need to act and to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen.